welcome to Sea to Scale, where we take a behind-the-scenes look at all things venture capital. And today, we welcome serial entrepreneur Brian Lim. We're going into what does it take to raise capital in today's environment, and we also look at and talk about different investors and how their approaches from around the world. He's raised money in Silicon Valley, he's raised money down in Australia, and he's raised money over in Singapore, and he's also raised money out of South America. And he's going to be talking about what his experience about what it's been like, how to kind of change and orientate your pitch, and how founders should be approaching the whole venture capital journey, and also providing some insight to investors and some of the issues they're going to be running into, most likely, when they've got founders pitching them or communicating with them, So, and how investors can ultimately help those entrepreneurs navigate the capital raising process. So great conversation. It's a pleasure to have you with us, and let's dive straight in. Brian, thanks so much for joining us, and you're the CEO of Dandelions, and I think you best do a, a quick intro uh, without me kind of, uh, as the concept, it, it's very abstract, and, and you're a very smart guy, and I often kind of struggle to keep up with you. So tell me, how would you introduce Dandelions to to the uh, the run and mill type of person? Um, Michael, don't worry, I struggle keeping up with myself too, so I'm, I'm in the same boat <laughs> as you, all right? Um, so I run a company called Dan Lions. We formed in 2018 after I came back from Silicon Valley. Um, and the idea here in Dan Lions is we wanted to restore communications in disasters as quickly as possible. So we sat down and said, how do we, in a bushfire or flood, um, in an area where there's no roads, no power, no communication, do we get it, uh, infrastructure working again? And so what we decided to build was a cell phone tower that you could drop out of the sky, um, land on the ground, opens up like a flower. It has solar batteries and satellite connection. So it can restore service instantly um, once it hits the ground. And a lot of people tell us why hit the ground versus keep in the air. And I'm like, if you're in the air and you lose control of the aircraft for whatever reason, um, you are now a flight hazard and nobody else can use the airspace till you're out of the area. Mm. So we'll get, hit the ground and get out of the way as soon as possible. So this sounds like a quite a niche product, but I imagine could be um, versatile in terms of its application, especially from a, I'm sure US State Department of Defense would be quite interested in something like what you're trying to do because there's... Uh, so a lot of people have talked to us about different things, certainly, yeah. um, but I won't call it a niche product. Um, okay. Well, think, well, Certainly it is niche, but um, by 2030, we're expecting there to be over a billion refugees, predominantly caused by climate-related crises. Now, when you have a conversation like that occurring, what happens to their homes, their roads, their power lines, right? All of that gets destroyed. Um, if you don't want the refugees to be displaced, you want them to stay at their homes, you want to be able to rebuild your lives, that's important. So being able to get them operational, find them and help them restore their communities as soon as possible mitigates that crisis. So niche, yeah, but you want to have a billion people, refugees running around and take your pay. I'm with you. It's a great point. So well, today is all about the venture capital side of things and some of your lessons from this space. This isn't your first rodeo, in fact. Um, you've had many, which is you know an extraordinary career of of trials and tribulations, and some of the stories you've shared with me along the way have just been mind blowing in terms of it's taken you to Necker Island where 
uh, Richard Branson, it's taken you to uh, when we met in Melbourne that time. It was um, a kind of a sad pondering, mainly about Michael's and his and his frustration about a, a business which hadn't yeah. gone quite well. But also, you were very kind to share some of your, um, yeah, let's say, uh, hurdles as well. So, just tell me from your perspective, what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned when it comes to raising capital, dealing with investors from the entrepreneurial side? Biggest lesson. Um... I think the way I want to describe it, and I, I'm going to be really cruel about it, is that the investor doesn't care about you. And I'm not, and it's not saying that the investor is not going to support you, help you. They will. But their primary objective of investing is to get a return on your investment, right? You just so happen to be the one that they think will make them rich. So their first responsibility is to themselves and their wealth. So, most of the um, startups founders I know go out and pitch, I'm building this crazy product. Will you please give me money? Please, sir, can I have some money? I'm a poor, poor entrepreneur. I just need a million dollars. Um, and it doesn't work, right? <laughs> it gets, it's not really <clears throat> So you got to turn it around and go, this is my business. I'm looking for investment. If I can get the investment, I can double my ROI or something else will occur that will get me to the next round. That means the evaluation will go up or I will have enough revenue to pay you back with interest. Whatever the agreement is, yeah. you need to speak of you. You're, when you're in a startup, you're selling two products. You're selling your core product, which is whatever you want to build. And the second product you're selling is your company. And you're selling both be the whatever product you're building and a financial product effectively, right? You're selling a share of your company yeah. or a portion of your company to to create someone's wealth. That's a financial product to some degree. Now, yeah. that's not financial advice and it's not a classified as a financial product, but that's really what you're doing. So you got to start thinking along those lines if you want people to start paying attention to you. And when you've adopted that approach, what have you noticed? How's that changed the conversation with an investor type? Absolutely, straight away changes it um, um, immediately on the spot. They immediately know that you're thinking about how to make the opportunity work for everyone, especially them, right? Um, they become much more open to opening their network. They become much more open to understanding what you're doing, right? So if you tell them, give me, give me a million dollars and I'll double it in six weeks. And if you can do that, holy shit, I respect you. Mm. Um, but what they're going to do then is, all right, the offer on the table is for here's a million, I'll make two. How are you going to do it? Prove it, right? They, it's not off, I don't know if I want to invest in you. Uh, it's okay. I, I, have to, I have to go elsewhere. Oh, that's really lovely. Let me know when you have traction. You know, don't know those conversations occur. They just go, all right, that's your deal. What do you do to prove that that's going to be a reality? Yeah. Um, and I treat it, I tell people I treat it like I am the lawyer prosecuting a murderer. I want to go in with evidence and proof as if I am going to prove the, to the judge that I'm actually putting a murderer away and not an innocent man. Mm. You know? Do you want to be so, able to talk like that today? Yeah. Conclusive and, yeah, okay, and concrete as much as you possibly can. Yeah. And I think um, it's... 
I think that's evident actually when I talk to you, even when just the way you introduce the product from niche, it sounds like you kind of is almost like a rebuttal um, from an investor of, oh, this is just a niche product, right? And uh, and your kind of rebuttal was quite, ah, actually, this is, this is, this is something much bigger than this. And so that's really interesting. So from a, I think what, when I worked in VC, what was quite interesting about it is you get a really a broad range, like in anything really, of investor types. And yeah. some are highly sophisticated and some are very unsophisticated, even though they meet, quote unquote, sophisticated rules of, um, <laughs> <laughs> of ASIC, right? Yeah. So yep. what, how have you kind of done that dance? And what's that? That, what are kind of the variations you've experienced, especially globally as well? Like, are there cultural differences when you kind of look to raise capital else, you know, in other parts of the world outside of Australia? Oh, definitely. When I was raising money in Silicon Valley, so you know, we all, well, if you're from startup land, all the stories you hear of Silicon Valley raising money and all these massive numbers. Now, the first thing I want to say that's the top probably one or five percent of Silicon Valley, the other ninety nine percent are in the grave. You know, or failed startups. Right. Um, you got to remember that founders probably only represent a small fraction of Silicon Valley. Everybody else is working for them. So, in some sense, um, you don't you don't see all the failures they face. Now, in the US, they are very willing to give it a go. Now, if you have a good reputation, you've got a decent product. You got. Um, it's they're willing to give it a go, and and there's two reasons why they're willing to give it a go. First, Silicon Valley has the best freaking PR I've ever seen as a collective community. <laughs> yeah. So they has created this massive, massive FOMO, fear of missing out. Yeah, because Silicon Valley has produced so many unicorns, and no one knows how to pick who the unicorn is still. Right, and this is very. This is a very important part. No one knows how to predict who will win a unicorn at that scale, um, and collectively they have done it as a society. That means when you walk into Silicon Valley, anybody could be the next unicorn. So if I ask for money in Silicon Valley, and I can show people that I have a chance, a one percent chance at being a unicorn. Mm. there's a good chance they will put money in just so they don't lose the opportunity. Interesting. Interesting. You know? But when you go to other places where capital is not as, there's less FOMO in the community. Yeah. Um, there's less liquidity. Um, there's all the, the technical things like liquidity, um, access to cash, risk profile. They're more conservative, right? They are. So if you were in Australia, so in Australia, they really always ask, Show me your revenue. Show me your potential customers, right? And where are you with those relationships? Um, if you go to um, overseas other countries, you go to like, say, the Philippines, for example. Um, if you try to do startups that didn't, they, if, you, if you try to do a copy of Tinder or Grindr, they're pretty receptive. It's a large population, very young population, right? So products that do things like that are actually quite, good in those markets they're open if you want to go to say um a country like japan um different products will sell so everybody looks at it from their lens their risk profile and where you go um and if you want to really play the big unicorn game a lot of them um 
you can make your money locally in many places. And there's a lot of companies uh, who can serve as case studies that you can make money anywhere. But a lot of them would also be looking to list on the New York Stock Exchange in the end because they want the kind of cash flow that sits in America. Yeah. Interesting yep. stuff. So for you, Brian, I one story which always stands out is this kind of this kind of grand slam you achieved at a pre-seed round. And what was that process like for you? That was from what I understand, it was quite early on in your career, right? In terms of um yeah, that your capital raising expertise are I, I don't know if it was particularly well developed at that point, but what was your strategy and, and kind of how did you navigate that that process for a big pitch for a, a, a big ask for an early stage company okay so um i can say on i, I like any I, I can look back in time and say oh my cap raising skills were crap back in the day <laughs> um so for reference for your readers so there was a startup i was doing between australia and silicon valley um it was 2014 to 2018 i was doing it um now i had completed an incubator program with an organization called Singularity University. They they teach people how to use exponential technology to build businesses that make big impact. And while I was in that program, um, I decided I was looking researching what we could do. And I came up with a concept that was on par with what people would think a unicorn would be. And I, I start with that because um, if you don't have a story that sounds like you have a shot at it, they don't really care. Right, because in Silicon Valley they hear a million pitches like that all the time, so you need to have something that's a little bit more meat on the table than just an idea. Um, and what we had created was the technology to build a satellite, a small one that would fit in your backpack. Um, when it takes a photo of the Earth, we get chemical data back from all the pixels. So I could tell you it's a farm with corn, needs water here, needs fertilizer there. There's um, there's a poisonous algae bloom in the ocean. Don't go fish there. Things like that. Um, so we proposed, we showed that off. People were like, "This okay? You got a crazy idea? You want to launch a constellation of satellites? This is um, before SpaceX landed its rocket. Just as perspective, right? Um, so everybody thinks like this is going to be too expensive. This is not. A, but we showed them the cost reduction." Um, like I remember drawing up the doing the Excel spreadsheet over eight hours just to show that the cost reduction where we hit and it's on target still. Um, I showed them um, the technology working, how it worked, and how you could deduce information um, from rocks and minerals and plant matter and differentiate the difference. Um, I even got involved, and I I I, I get to say this publicly. Um, with a university in the United States that was specializing in open source intelligence for tracking weapons of mass destruction. So when you sit down and talk to an investor, what can you use this technology for? Mm. Um, I, and <laughs> the thing goes from swords to plowshare, right? <laughs> um, extraction, yeah, it's yeah. environmental management. So yeah, well, yeah. So, and then, you know, so because I had such a broad scope, the, the strategy I used was, here's both ends, the extreme ends I have information of. Here's all the agriculture stuff. I have plant matter I, could, I can catalyze. You want to talk about, you know, um, the weapons end? It's like, here's the conversations I'm having with those university professors, experts, and so forth um, about those things. So if I have 
both the extremes, if I can convince you of both the extremes, that I am aware of them and how to execute with them, the middle stuff starts to feel a lot easier, doesn't it? Yeah, for sure. Right? So that's the way the conversation went. And I, I played right. that game. Um, and so we showed the tech, we did it, we showed the progress. And then we had a, um, a, high net, and then a high net worth come in and he was looking for an opportunity and he was looking, it's like, this is like, wait a second, this is not a normal Silicon Valley pitch, right? This is before space startups were a thing in Silicon Valley too. Um, so you want to do all this hardware, it's all this crazy stuff. And, you know, can it be done? And, you know, we laid out what we think we knew. And um, on hindsight, it was 10% of what was actually needed. Right. <laughs> um, but we showed them it was possible. We showed them a pathway. Um, he wanted, and then he wanted to basically vet us, right? And the vetting process here was... Um, the vetting process was, hey, show me your proof. Show me your people. So we took him to see our advisors, our university professors that we're in contact with. Um, we had conversations where he wanted to come and talk with, at conferences with us, well, who we were talking to and how he wanted to see not what we were saying, but how they were responding. That was his process, right? Mm. Um, in the end, after much conversation, and, and he agreed to put down the five mil USD singles as a single sum and take the round. And we're like, wait, what? Awesome. And was it was it awesome? Actually, that's that's an assumption there. Was it because I think was the misconception with capital raising is that you do all this effort and then the job actually starts when you achieve the like it's the beginning, not the end. Yeah. It's the beginning, not the end, right? So it's a lot of work. Like the, yeah. the other half of what people is like, great, here in the media, I've raised a lot of money. Oh my God, yeah. that's amazing. Um, anyone who's been on the other side of that coin knows, holy shit, what have I done? Yeah. I have how much ahead of me now? Yeah, now you got a guy who's got a big big amount of capital involved and yeah, whether you like working with him or her or their team or yes. a lot of You want to get a big commitment? You have to deliver on a big commitment. Yeah. So after the money went in, I can tell we were. I remember when the paperwork was signed. We didn't celebrate and party. We were eat at a fast food like a fast food joint. I forgot which one it's on Mountain Street in Silicon Valley, just chowing down. I think the raps like the so exhausted. Oh fuck! What are we gonna do now? <laughs> Holy shit! We have to deliver. <laughs> you know, it's like because we we knew the work was yeah. coming. Yeah. And we knew what was being asked. So we said, okay, let's sign, let's chill. And then, you know, a couple of days later, we'll, we'll actually get started. But that was what we were going through. Brian, I think we should pause the conversation there. It's been, mm -hmm. I really love the reality you've brought to this. I think the the prosecution of a murderer uh, and, and creating a concrete case for your investment is a yeah. powerful analogy. Um, and... Um, yeah, seeing it as t seeing your company as an investment product, which is essentially it is exactly what it is actually. Mm. Um, and I think it's very hard to see sometimes your own company in in that lens. But um, yeah, certainly I can see the real benefit in doing that. So look, thank you so much for taking the time out of the chat. It's been your perspective is awesome. Thank you, Brian. A pleasure. Thank you.